Fridays with Frankie. Conversations and kikis with some of your favorite queer icons and allies. Now here's your host, Frankie Grande. Hello, hello, and welcome to Fridays with Frankie, a four-part series where we talk about all things from the queer perspective. On this week's edition, we catch up with three amazing people who remind us through their art and their activism the power of just being you. Drag legend, actor, and Dolly Parton's favorite new author, Nina West joins us. Plus, Stuart Milk, co-founder and president of the Harvey Milk Foundation and nephew of the civil rights icon, will be on the show. And here to kick off our fabulous and fun and flirty show, Betty Who, a fierce ally and queer artist who truly defines what it means to be yourself and love yourself, no matter who you love or how you identify. Her first single, Ooh, Somebody Loves You, was the soundtrack to an endearing flash mob marriage proposal for a gay couple in a Home Depot. And now her fourth album, Big, is her most personal yet and here to be big. Welcome to the show, Betty Who. Hi, Angel. I'm so obsessed with you. Thank you for having me. Oh you really, God. we have to, before we even get into it, I have to tell you, I think I texted you this, but you really get to my funny bone. Like, you make me laugh hotter than a lot of people really make me laugh. Like, your jokes, you're it really, like... At your wedding in New York, I was like, I sat upstairs just crying, laughing the whole time. Me and Lizzie were dying. It was so fun. I was so happy to be there. I love you. It's so nice to see you. I love you. Thank you. And and thank you so much for being at my wedding in New York and singing. That was just a highlight of an unbelievable, unbelievable evening. And I love that I like um, surprised you by saying, I was like, that's my, th- that's my alarm clock. So Betty had no idea. She sang, no um, always, I love you always forever. And my, uh, my wake up song, literally is I love you always forever by Betty who, uh, so thanks for waking me up at my wedding with you. I know I'm with you every morning. Just (gasps) so good. (laughs) And then you open her up and it was so good. Uh, your voice sounded incredible that night and, um, it was so magical. It was such a fun night. It's such a fun night. And you know, you're just, you're somebody who I have always looked up to and loved through your music. I think that you're an incredibly gifted communicator through your medium, which is amazing. But then getting to know you as a person, like you are such a genuine and such a positive being on this planet. Is that something that you like, was that something that you found later in life? Like, did it have to do with like this coming into your own that you are talking about in your new album, Big, which we'll get to in a a second. Was it a journey or is that just who you are? Like wired that way? That's a great question. Um, I I think I definitely have whatever the sort of special sauce is that you get born with that gives you the access to it. I think Mm -hmm. I've always had access to it. I don't think I've ever, um, it feels a little bit like a superpower that I've spent like my twenties trying to figure out how to use for good instead of evil. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and I think that that's a really important part of, I think I'm at a place now where I understand how much um, I can affect change if I just like put my mind to it. And I think I really want to be somebody who takes responsibility for that, for doing what I can with what I've got, which is being able to make people feel safe, feel mm-hmm. comfortable, um, feel good about themselves, you know, hold them, love them. Like it doesn't, it takes so little for me to change somebody's day or life. And it's like, that's kind of, I think a responsibility that I now feel a lot more comfortable carrying. I think for a long time, I was like, it's the pressure kind of freaked me out in my younger, in my youth. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I think understandably, cause I, I'm just trying to figure out myself. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be responsible for you. I can barely take care of me. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And why, while that might still be true, 
<laughs> or I still am <laughs> trying to figure out how to take care of myself. I think yeah. I do. I think I, I feel that through being vulnerable, through sharing myself, through like opening up to being like, cool, like this is really who I am. I'm really going for it. Like, I hope you guys can meet me in the middle here. I've actually found how much more people are responding to like, oh my God, I, I didn't know I needed this. Like, and I think I just like, what's the point of it all? If it's just for me to like strap on a pair of sparkly undies and dance on stage, I'm like, that's fun. Yeah. I think I want to like also change people's hearts and minds along yeah. the way. Trying to find the balance of that is where I'm at now. Yeah. And that's something that I, I just admire so much about you because as you say, there are many artists who are like, no, 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 like don't use the word responsibility. Like I don't want to have like yeah. responsibility for anyone or anything. And I um, understand by the way, I, I totally get being it's there. Fine. Like, Listen, I make art for me. If you want to be a part of it, I'm so grateful and that's so exciting, but like, I don't, I can't take responsibility for you. I understand what that feels like. I really have been there. So there's nothing wrong with that, you know? No, of course not. No, no judgment, but it is very lovely and refreshing to hear that that is something that you actually do like take pride in. You're like, no, I'm actually, yeah. I can affect change and I'm using my platform to do that. And you've also done it so much for queer people around the world and, you know, just being part of this LGBTQ nation that, and being so proud, it has helped so many people. And I think that it is kind of, uh, allowed people to understand another side of our rainbow. Um, and it, it, in that journey, is it kind of the same thing? Like where you just, it's not, has it become part of your mission and responsibility to stand up for and represent the LGBTQ uh, community? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I hesitate, you know, to say that I am, you know, an accurate representation of the queer community. Cause I think it's like, obviously there are a lot of colors in the rainbow. And I think that I have a specific queer experience that I'm trying to share while also understanding that like so many other people, you know, especially like trans people of color. Mm -hmm. I'm like, listen, the amount of adversity that we have experienced is very different. Like mm -hmm. we, I understand that there are other people who can probably speak to it um, so much more efficiently and, and usefully than I could ever, but all in that same sentence, I'm like, right. But if I, if I completely like tap out of my own queer experience and then like, no, no, no. Like, I don't want to speak for anybody. Then it's doing the same thing where I'm like, no, I, I, I want to affect change. I have to be myself, you know, and I have to share this part of myself and be like proud about it. That's the whole thing. If I'm going to stand on stage and be like, I want you all to be proud of yourself, but I'm not doing the same thing. Like, I think you have to lead by example in that way. And so making this music specifically on this album, yeah. I think I was very thoughtful about my queerness and how it played into the music. I don't know if I've ever really gone there or let myself really go there for so many reasons, you know, that we could dive into in therapy at all for, for hours. <laughs> cool. Um, Got time. But the long and the short of it, you know, is that I'm like, I feel very, I'm at a place where I'm really proud of who I am some days more than others. You know, there's still days where I'm like dealing with all of my own stuff about like being perceived a certain way or, you know, experiencing sort of like you know, casual misgendering where I'm like, I, I don't want to, I, all I want is to make people feel really safe. Yes. And so and you when do. people get really, when people feel really uncomfortable around me, cause they call me sir and then they get nervous and then they're like, Oh no, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I don't mind that you call me sir. That works for me. It's more that now you're nervous and uncomfortable and that's not what I want to do. And so of course I, I've had a ton of experience, especially in the last couple of years, last year where I'm really like, um, remembering what it feels like to be out in the world again. You know, we had all that time yes. away. Yeah. Where all, all that we were dealing with was our perception of ourselves. Yes. Which made me fundamentally way more queer. 
I stand by the fact that I think this is absolutely my most like honest and sort of uh, all encompassing record, including like, you know, my height, my queerness, like all of these things about me that I've maybe been hiding or brushing under the rug, trying to seem more normal, trying to seem more like, look at me. If you see me, you know, I can be all of these other girls too. Like I'm just like them. And now I'm like, Oh, I'm not like anybody. I had, that's the whole point. And I'm just realizing that. And that to me is so beautiful. And that's what I was, you know, even the beginning of this question, that's what I was getting at. And I, and I love that. And I keep, please keep doing that. Like, like it's okay to represent one part of the rainbow because there are so many people out there that are listening to your record and identifying like me also, like me included listening to this album, you know? So like, you know, it's, it's okay that you're not everyone or that there are people that are on this side or that side or that have it had, had it harder. Like everyone's personal experience is their personal experiences. But when you're an artist, people can relate. And I relate. So I thank you Yay. for that. We're doing I, it. That's we're doing point. it. We're doing it. Just be like, hey, if you thought you were alone, you're not. Exactly. That's, really the whole point. that's what art, that's what music does for me. When I listen to a line in a song that I relate to, it takes me out of my loneliness for like, uh, even if it's just a millisecond, I'm like, wow, if that person is having the same experience that I've had, then like, obviously like everything's okay. Like I'm not weird or, or alone or, or strange. And, and so every time I listen to a lyric of yours and I, I, it pops me into that place. Um, and for everyone out there just listening, you, everyone must listen to big, big just came out, um, this month, which is, it's phenomenal. You know, you've heard it out of Betty's mouth, but also out of my mouth. Like it is, it is your strongest work to date. And oh, I am a big fan. So I'm a nice. huge fan. No, I'm you're a huge fan. So nice. Even just like the soaring melodies, just in the, your very, very first song, big. And obviously your singles, um, blow out my candle, big hit here on Q radio, by the way. Blow My Candle is played all the time. I love that song. It's one of my favorite songs on the record. Usually the first single is the one that I'm like ready to be done with by the time the rest of the record comes out. And honestly, I like, I love performing it still. It's it's really holding, it's it's holding its own. I'm really proud of it. (laughs) It is a great song. You don't know me. You don't get it. You really sold me. But you never met me halfway Cause you don't see it Where this train's headed But best believe me You're not gonna get in my way Does it help you sleep? Does it make you stronger? To beat up on me I can't take it any longer I won't stop running down that road What are some other standouts to you on the album? Oh, it's such a Sophie's choice. You know, they're all my children. They really yes, are. Of course. I, I go through, I go through phases of, um, of liking different songs for different reasons. Before the record came out, I had this funny experience. I was like on the Thursday, cause it comes out like Thursday at midnight. Right. So Friday, technically whatever. Yes. So Thursday afternoon, I was in my kitchen. I was alone and I had this, I was like, about to do all the madness. I had a crazy week, you know, promoting the record and going all over the place doing the thing. So I was like my last moment of peace before everything got really crazy. And I sort of, I sat in my kitchen and I was like, I'm going to open Dropbox, which is where I've been listening to this record for the last six months. (sighs) So cool. And I'm going to listen to it one more time while it's only mine. Yeah. Because starting tonight, everybody else gets to have this. I have chills. 
it was really, it was really sweet. I felt like I was like, cool. Like I'm going to give this one more moment. Cause after this, like, okay, it's on spot of like the world, it's the world's now. I don't have any, you know, I still don't, I feel like I still didn't have any control in that moment either, but it was like a nice sending it off on its way. And now that it's out, it's funny. I feel like everybody, uh, again, I'm very validated by the outside world <laughs> for better and for worse. Yeah. And so I think the songs that are jumping out to me as my favorite now that it's out are the ones that people are responding to. So yes. like the song weekend, Yep. I feel like a lot of people have hit me up about being like this one. I literally cannot get out of my head. Like I'm actually annoyed at you because it's been <laughs> running around my head for five days energy. Um, and that makes me go like, Oh, I love that song now. You know what I mean? It's very like, I just want to make stuff that makes, that makes people respond. And so when someone feels a certain way about a song, it makes me love it all over again. So I think that one. And then I think the hard way is one mm. for me that really like, I, it feels it like tickles my Avril obsession. Yep. Um, and so I'm excited to perform that one. Uh, how do you, as an artist, put yourself in a place where you currently aren't? Because like I, you know, there's a lot mm. of songs where I hear uh, stories from your past or, or maybe mm. a past relationship um, somewhere that like, just because I personally know you, I know that that's not where you're at at the moment. Like, how do you find the place to, how do you pop into that? I think the music itself it's sort of like a time capsule, right? So it's mm. like, it's funny when you start to sort of the opening chords of the hard way start. And I'm like, oh, I'm about to tell this story about this woman. Mm -hmm. I'm like, it immediately makes me feel like I'm in 2000 and, you know, 14, yeah. like feeling all the things again. It's actually kind of like the music itself is very trans, like it transports me there in this really powerful way. And I think that for me, the thing that I love to do more than anything and we're a theater gal, theater queens. Yeah, we this are. This is something that we share. <laughs> Yep. Um, is, a is my, my theater kink, uh, my theater obsession. <laughs> and I think that that's the thing I love about musical theater that I, I am now trying to embrace within my own music is to tell story and take, it's like, I'm in some ways, I feel like the music and the story takes over and that all of a sudden it's about the performance and you being a vehicle for that story to mm -hmm. really connect to people the best. It's not really about like, me telling a story that is true for me, it's more about like, cool, now I've crafted this song that actually encapsulates this feeling that I've been sitting on for a long time and helps me therapize it and like move through it. And then like my emotional connection to that thing is almost like kind of checked off the box. It feels very like this really took care of this for me. And then I can go out and be like, cool, now I know that other people are having that experience you're talking about where you're like, why did I feel like I was the only person who's ever had that feeling? And now you're singing an entire song about the thing that I thought I was alone in. Then I go into like, I am responsible for carrying this story for you and making you feel it 10 million times, like as, as deep as you possibly can, which means I'm more of like a vessel and it kind of, that's why I love performing. Maybe yep. creating is beautiful, but it's really painful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's really in the, I really have to, I really have to get in there. And so it's, it's really validating and fulfilling, but it also, it comes with a lot of like trauma kind of sifting Yes. and performing for me. I get to lock into my sort of like razzle dazzle, uh, you know, I'm here to like be present and to, and deliver this to you. And I think that is so much less painful and more fun and more sort of like, um, vital to me in so many ways. Yeah. It's the, you've, you've birthed the child, which is the hardest part. And now yes. you get to, get to have, you get to go to Disneyland now. You, you, know, yeah. you get to be like, go, go, have, go play with your kid friends, be home by sundown. You know what I mean? Yeah. 100%. Exactly. Smoking a cigarette great. on the front porch. Just, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. With my gin, gin martini. 
I love yeah, have it. Have fun, kids. <laughs> Bye. See, see you later. See you later, yeah. child, <laughs> offspring. Oh, wow. That exactly. is so crazy. Oh, my goodness. So, wait, okay. So, tour is coming up. Yes. Tell me. Tell me details. I, obviously, I will be there in the front. Of course, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there as many dates as humanly possible. It's going to be really, really special. I think it's going to be, uh, uh, dare I say it, to my best tour ever. Hey! We're planning it right now. I'm getting really, we're really talking about getting into the weeds. Um, it matters so much to me. It's my favorite thing in the world. And I think I feel like I've really leveled up in my music on this on this round. And it's funny, like tour is the thing that I've always felt like is the most leveled up of all of the stuff that I do. And so I'm excited to to dive in and be this new version of myself that's a lot more maybe self-aware and like choicey and confident and to take all of that new stuff and build this new tour. So we go out uh, in January, we go to Europe, we're doing a couple European and UK dates, and then we come home and at the end of February, we start a North American tour. It's about five, six-ish weeks um, going all over the country. We'll be finishing in LA. So hopefully I'll see you in Hale and finishing in LA. And the incredible Shea Coulee is opening for me. No, shut up. Wild. It's going to be- the gayest night in town. Like I can't, I literally can't wait. Oh my God. I just got chills. That is going to be fantastic. Um, She's a superstar. I really believe in her. I believe in her music. I'm just like, she's been so kind. She's so excited. I'm so excited. It feels really like all I want to do is just feel like I'm working with people who have really good juju. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to have a nice time and I want everybody to really be excited to be here. Like this is a gift. And if anybody is acting like they're too cool for anything, I'm immediately like annoyed being like, this is not the vibe. Like we're supposed to have fun. And Shay immediately would like, where we've been DMing, just being like, I can't believe we get to do this. Like we're so lucky. We're so excited, which is immediately the correct vibe to go yep. out on tour. Genuine divas. That's the name of the tour. Genuine, Genuine divas. divas. Baby. <laughs> yeah, It's really true. <laughs> both of you are. It's really true. Yeah. You just both exude such wonderful, positive energy. So that's going to be an amazing tour. I will be there. Obviously everybody that is listening must go get your tickets and yes, um, come now just went on sale like a week or uh, 10 days ago. I'm so excited. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. Okay. So tell yeah. us the, tell us the website or do we just go to your Instagram? Like tell us how to do things because yeah, link in, link in bio, all the places. Also yes. you probably Google Betty who tour dates. It'll come to master. Hashtag link in bio. Yeah. yeah Cause exactly. we're, we're driving right now. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone listening <laughs> yeah. is like, you know, on the, on the road and they're like, Oh just no, what the do we do? I, I can't yeah, remember exactly. the, the ticketing website. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you can all um, we'll make go- it easy. We'll make it easy for you. We'll Google it. Um, okay. Before I let you go, I, this is a personal, this is just, you know, one thing that I always wonder when putting together a tour, like you have four albums right now. Like is, Ugh. what do you do? How do you choose the songs? Uh, is, is there a like great, what, a master cranky, list? And literally like... <laughs> the, the bane of my existence right now. <laughs> no, I'm like, sorry. No, it's, I mean, it's great. It's such a blessing to have so much music that you want to play. Yeah. Um, but it's been, it's been funny, like even in like interacting with like fans in the wild. When I like run into, I was like doing a whole press week in New York and I was talking with a fan of mine and he was like, I have questions. He was like, I have questions about the set list. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like I, it feels so exciting and I want to give everybody what they want. I think a solution that we have is there's like a, an oldies medley that we're doing. That's going to be really fun. That's like, we're going to hit a bunch of stuff that I really want to hit, but we don't have like the three and a half minutes to do the whole number Brilliant. of it. Brilliant. Um, I think I'm, I think I'm really good. I pride myself on being really good at giving the people what they want. 
Good. I'm not precious. I don't have an ego. I'm not like, I need to sing this song because I'm like, cool. Like people love this song. I want to sing it for you. Right. I want you to hear what you want to hear. So we're working on it. There are a couple that I was like, I can't believe we're not doing this number. And I wonder how long, how, <laughs> how deep into rehearsals we're going to get before we have the conversation of like, we have to do this song. You know what I mean? It's right. like, there's going to be some last minute shifts as there always are. I'm sure. Um, Encore! But I think... I think we're doing, I think we've got a good balance right now. And I get to play, I really want to play a lot of this record because I, you I need made to. it for stage. Yeah, you, you need I made to. It, I made it for the stage and I feel really confident about the quality of this music. And I go like, cool, if there's a song from my first album that I've left behind in this moment, like, doesn't mean I can't revisit her. There will be more tours. Like, it's this is the big tour. I get to focus on this album. So I'm trying to pick old songs also that really support this style too. There, It's fun to sort of deep dive and be like, oh, this is like, this song walked so that this song on big could run, you know, yes. it's like seeing, fi- feeling those sort of, uh, hindsight's 2020, um, you know, uh, through lines yeah. creatively is Absolutely. a really fun pot. Yeah. And it, especially cause you jumped back in time a couple of times in this album, you know, like it, creatively, 100%. like the storytelling wise. So it, I, you know, I'm, I'll go, I'll, I'll listen to it myself. I'll listen to your entire discography and I'll tell you any theories that I have. <laughs> okay, great. Before, great thank you, thank time you, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. You, I'll send you my, my little um, blog that I'm going to go write later. <laughs> okay, after so this. Here's what I recommend. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> You're well, going to need to do this number. Great. I can't wait. <laughs> exactly. Um, you are such a delight. Um, it has been such an honor to have you on the show and keep just being you because just being you is inspiring us to just be us. And that's the greatest gift that anyone could ever possibly give. So thank you for being on the show and thank you for being you. Oh, thank you for saying that. I'm literally obsessed with you. It means so much to me coming from you. That feeling is so mutual. I'm I'm so inspired by your, by your, your selfness. And I told you at the top, you really make me laugh. You really hit my funny bone. So I'm so happy to, to spend some time with you. Shine bright like a Frankie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you love again. You. I love you. Please welcome my next guest. He's an American LGBTQ plus and human rights activist, co-founder and president of the Harvey Milk Foundation and nephew of the civil rights icon and father of the modern day queer rights movement, Harvey Milk. Please welcome Stuart Milk to the show. Welcome to the show, Stuart. Hi, how are you today? I'm great. It's great to be here with you, um, Frankie, and I'm looking forward to uh, LGBTQ History Month. Yes. And we also have National Coming Out Day this month. A lot of stuff to talk about, and this is a great month for us. And obviously, your uncle, Harvey Milk, is a huge part of LGBTQ plus history. Um, What do you think Harvey would say about the state of the gay rights movement in the world today in 2022? Well, you know, I think he would be very proud of the visibility that so many people have, you know, taken, you know, his core message at a time when nobody was visible as LGBTQ. Um, You know, we've moved so much further with that type of visibility. And he knows that change and sustained change only happens from that. Mm -hmm. But there are still so many elements here in the U.S. that would want to put us back in the closet. Um, or that are trying to take us out of the classroom and not even in the closet in the classroom, but nowhere in the school. But we also have, we have to recognize that two thirds of the world does not have the type of visibility that we enjoy today in the U.S. So, you know, we, it's, it's important that we remind ourselves of that. Yes. And I think it's, it's, it's critically important that my uncle would be messaging that saying, yes, celebrate where we've come. 
mm-hmm. celebrate, you know, the amazing people that we have that are visible and that are supporting us, which is also kind of, you know, unheard of. The type of people that we have now supporting us. So country music stars, yes. you know, and we, we've got people from all elements of society, sports teams, yep. major corporations. These are people who didn't support us in the past that do now. But we need to constantly remain vigilant and keep moving forward. Let's talk a little bit about the good work and everything that you're doing with the Harvey Milk Foundation. So tell us a little bit about the mission of the Harvey Milk Foundation for people that are listening that, that don't actually know what you do on a global scale. Yeah, so we, we work um, around my uncle's legacy. Our domestic work is limited to that. So we have, for instance, um, we just visited the U.S. Navy ship Harvey Milk, which cool. had its christening in San Diego in it will be a year in November, but it's actually only 90% built. So we got an update. We got a tour of the ship. You know, the, the couple thousand men and women who serve on that ship will travel the world and will educate people about who LGBTQ youth is. So we do a lot to support um, the legacy in the U.S. And then globally, we work to support emerging and struggling LGBT communities mostly. I don't know if, if I had given the story, but when we had the ship naming ceremony, we got emails from around the world. And one was a young uh, 16-year-old in Kuwait. Um, his name was his Khalil. And he said that, you know, he had planned his suicide because he didn't want his parents to oh, have yeah. to kill him. So in the Middle East, it's very common for honor killings to happen where oh, family members kill someone who's LGBTQ. It's illegal to be LGBTQ in Iraq. So this young Khalil, uh, young man, Khalil, had planned his suicide. Then he heard about the U.S. Navy ship Harvey Milk. The Navy is huge. It saved Kuwait. It's a big, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, revered in the U.S. Navy in Kuwait. And so he wrote us a letter saying that he put aside these plans to suicide, that he had hope, and that he was sitting at the port in Kuwait waiting for the U.S. Navy ship Harvey Milk to arrive. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, I mean, it's and it's that's the type of um, power that something like the U.S. Navy ship Harvey Milk or, or you know, we, I, we work with uh, Mayor Hildago in Paris to rename the street that's now Harvey Milk Place in oh. front of City Hall, uh, Hotel de Ville in Paris. Um, or we now have in Italy, we have a, um, a convention center um, in Montpellier, in, I'm sorry, not in Italy, in France, in Montpellier, yeah. um, that's Harvey Milk Convention Center. We have in Verona, Italy, an LGBTQ center named after Harvey. So, you know, people learn about Harvey, his message, the fact that he sacrificed himself. Uh, you know, he it was a, it was not a self-fulfilling prophecy, but he knew he was going to be killed because he yeah. wasn't just out. He was asking crowd. people <laughs> to join him in being visible at a time when that was considered, even from the gay community, it was considered, you don't do that. And so, you know, we need more people who believe we should move forward with, like what's happening in Iran. I mean, we have an intersectionality with other marginalized groups and we have to stand shoulder to shoulder with them. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when and, and we've got to, that's another thing my uncle would be saying right now is we've got to call our own community. You know, we have some areas where cisgendered white men are doing really well. They're well accepted, and it's important for us to 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 entice them to join us in supporting other minority groups, even when they don't necessarily realize it's in their self-interest to do that. 
So we, we just talked a little bit about Harvey's out and proud stance in the world, which was so beautiful. And so what would you tell those people who are struggling to come out even in 2022? You know, as, yeah. especially around the world, you know, I, you know, we usually just talk about the United States on the show, but like, look, what about around the world? Yeah, well, it's, it's a, well, you know, that's another key point is the struggle everywhere, um, mm-hmm. even in places, you know, we, we have um, LGBTQ youth at a, you know, five times higher rate of being homeless and three times higher rate of committing suicide than non-LGBTQ youth, even in the United States. So it's still an issue, even in places, even in the bubbles where we feel that we've got all the support systems and we've got the visibility. It's still an individual decision. You know, you want to move someone's heart and mind, ask them their coming out story. I mean, and it's got to be that individual person's decision. But the process of coming out is what changes hearts and minds. I always say, you know, people, um, I was just at an event where they were talking about the heroes of the LGBT community. And I said, well, to me, the heroes are the everyday heroes, the people who on a school playground stand up for an LGBTQ person or for themselves or for someone else who is different than the majority. It's the person in the corporate boardroom who hears a sexist, a xenophobic, a racist or a homophobic joke and says, wait a second, you're talking about people I love. Right. Stop it. Allies. Um, Those are the everyday heroes and those are the visibility movements. So, you know, I I think the late... Uh, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor said it best when she was asked about the vote on marriage equality on Offerdahl. And she said it wouldn't have happened 10 years earlier because the majority of justices didn't know personally LGBTQ people, but we do. They become visible to us. And so, you know, one of the biggest things that has changed in that kind of piggyback. They were in the closet. You know, they knew people that were closeted. Exactly. They knew that. Yeah. Well, they knew, but they didn't know. Right. Exactly. Um, And the biggest thing that changed was really what young people in this country demanded, which was marriage equality. I mean, you know, you don't have a, you know, tolerance ceremony where you're going and, okay, we're going to tolerate this. We're going to celebrate it. And there's a difference between tolerance and celebration. Huge difference. I consider tolerance a very low bar and not something that I would embrace. You know, I live here in Florida and I tolerate mosquitoes so I can be outside. Human beings aren't mosquitoes. We shouldn't be tolerated. We should be celebrated. And so it's really important that we continue that. I mean, we have an attack on LGBTQ community when transgender people are being attacked, belittled, when legislation is coming forward. I mean, that's... Especially where you are right now and where I got married in the state of Florida. What do do we do about... Don't say gay and these leg- this legislation in, in the state that you and I are both from. Like, what do we do? Well, you know, I mean, the, the simple answer is that if we actually just rejected that and we all did say gay, um, right. <laughs> including school administrators, I mean, that would I mean, what are they going to do? Close down every single school in the state? I mean, every they are, well, and, and they they are thousands of teachers short everywhere. Right. So, um, but I guess, you know, that's, that's too much to ask of some people is to do it anyway. But I do think it's important that we engage in politics. I think it's important that we call on, um, and there are, you know, so many people say, well, there's no gay people in the Republican party. Of course there's gay people in the Republican party and, um, and they need to, to be active in changing this dynamic. We can't be the canary in the coal mine anymore. We can't be the, you know, the centerpiece of the, of those that want to, 
divide and conquer. And, um, and so we must, you know, I think we've got to just stand up to it. And I think we've got to take some risks. I mean, you know, my uncle took the ultimate risk, you know, with all the hate mail, with all the death threats he got, he still moved forward. So I think in situations like Florida, where we're working in the courts, um, where we're working in, um, in, in counter legislation, which has a long trajectory. In the short term, I think we just need to find brave students and teachers and administrators. And we do have some here in the state of Florida that are saying, well, you know, I'm going to do it anyway, because it's the right thing to do. It's no different than a young lady in Selma, Alabama, who knew that it was illegal to sit in the front of the bus and without any malice or thought thought, but with tremendous courage that would change the face of the civil rights movement said, no, I'm going to sit in the front of the bus. Oh, so beautifully put. Oh my goodness. I could talk to you for three hours. Honestly, I could, this should be a, a Netflix special. So we'll have to revisit this conversation later at a later date, but I'm just so unbelievably grateful that you came on the show. Thank you so much for setting the stage for LGBTQ plus history month and why it is so important. Um, everyone, please, please follow the Harvey Milk foundation and see how you can get involved. Uh, Stuart, we're going to sidebar after this because I desperately want to be involved like desperately. I'm such a huge supporter of your mission statement. Um, so uh, thank you again for being on the show you're awesome thank you my pleasure somewhere in Des Moines or San Antonio there's a young gay person who all of a sudden realizes that she or he is gay knows that if the parents find out they'll be tossed out of the house the classmates would taunt the child and the Anita Bryans and John Briggs are doing their bit on TV and that child has several options Staying in a closet, suicide, and then one day that child might open a paper and it says homosexual elected in San Francisco, and there are two new options. Option is to go to California. (laughs) Stay in San Antonio and fight. Two days after I was elected, I got a phone call, and the voice was quite young. It was from Altoona, Pennsylvania. And the person said, thanks. And you've got to elect gay people so that that young child and the thousands upon thousands like that child know that there's hope for a better world. There's hope for a better tomorrow. Without hope, not only gays, but those blacks and the Asians and the disabled and the seniors, the essence essence without hope the essence give up i know that you cannot live on hope alone but without it life is not worth living and you and you and you you've got to give them hope thank you very much please welcome my next guest nina west oh wait that's a poem let's do it let's do it like a poem please welcome my next guest the lovely nina west (laughs) 
<laughs> Nina was named Miss Congeniality on RuPaul's Drag Race Season 11, which is very, very evident to anyone who's ever met her, um, is touring the U.S. as the lead role of Edna Turnblad in the Tony Award-winning Broadway musical Hairspray. A fierce LGBTQIA activist, Nina has raised over $5 million for charity and is often in the front line of LGBTQIA plus issues and now has a children's book. You are now the author of a children's book. Please welcome to the show, Nina West. Hi, Nina. Hi, Frankie. How are you? I love you. I'm great. I love you. You always make me smile. Let's, okay, so um, everyone who listens to the show knows that I, I'm doing Titanic at the moment because I have, we've had Ty Blue on the show. We've had guests uh, we, have, we talked about who have been in the audience. There has never been a better audience member for Titanic than Nina West. <laughs> Nina, you are the greatest. I feel like you're lying. You're just no. saying that. No, I swear to God. I swear to God. I felt like I it, I don't remember what day it was, but like I was like tired, whatever it was. It was eight shows, my eighth show. I really think you came Sunday at seven was the first show. Yeah, I did. And I was yeah. exhausted. And I saw you in the audience and you were giving us so much energy. And no one has ever laughed harder. And it was <laughs> It was a delight. It was a delight <laughs> to have you there. Um, I hope you get to be in the show with us one day because I would just oh lose my, my God. mind. It would be so much fun. That's a tie. I'm like, I would love to do this show. It's oh. so ridiculous. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. I mean, you could play a number of the roles. Um, <laughs> so I would just put put you in. But um, you're you're so wonderful, and I love how much you love theater. Right. And that was, you know, my first. Um, introduction to you uh, was on Drag Race and obviously what you led with your heart and your personality but also you led with your unapologetic love for musical theater and that was yeah. something that I just totally re related to um, for all the little queer theater kids out there you were just um, our favorite and, and remain to be our favorite what was it that drew you, you to musical theater your you know your whole life you know I think it's for, I think for so many like maybe queer people I didn't find a space that I belonged. And then I saw these kids kind of doing their own thing over, you know, on the side. And it was, and they all happened to be like either um, musicians or they were involved mm -hmm. with musical theater. And I was like, oh wait, maybe that's where I belong. Maybe I belong with them over there. But you know, like I couldn't, so often I grew up, you know, uh, I grew up in a really conservative family. And um, I remember going to, like experiencing musical theater national tours when they would come to our town and I just like gosh I really want to be up there I want to be doing that I see myself on that stage and I didn't know how necessarily to connect the dots and then high school came around and I was really actively pursuing the arts and wanting to be around people who were you know artistically inclined we also were like outwardly queer right you know right. it was my first introduction to like outwardly queer openly gay men and I, and I thought, well, that's, they've found their, th like their place their, where they belong. And maybe that's, maybe that's where I need to be too. And so I think just really out of a need for wanting space yeah, and where, where I could be myself. Safe space. I think I, yeah. Where I could be, I thought the theater was it, you know, you know, yeah. and yeah. And it is, it is. And that's, that's so, it's such a wonderful place and it is so safe. And so, you know, I mean, it's just so fun to be a part of an ensemble and a cast, you know, um, where you get that kind of freedom to just be around yeah. other people and just be be yourself. is that did that freedom that you got through musical theater then bring you to drag was it was that the the line like was it were they yeah, were like I mean, we need you to play a woman in this show and you were like <laughs> okay i'll do it and then you were like actually i'm fierce <laughs> yeah i was i wish it was that i wish it was like that linear um <laughs> i like uh 
I went to college and I got, uh, I went to for, for theater. I went to go get my theater degree and uh, I was going to move to New York after I graduated. I graduated in May of 2001. My plan was to move because I just dated myself. I'm very old, but I moved, <laughs> I graduated in May of 2001. Wait, I did too. Wait, what? Are you serious? Wait, I, high, high school? College. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. We're only four years apart. We're only four years apart, honey. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated. I'm sorry. Let me prep it. College. I graduated okay. college. College. You did not that well. College. There's college. your there's your Ted plan coming <laughs> right. up. We're getting there in a second. That's my next question. <laughs> <laughs> but I graduated college in 2001, and uh, my plan was to move to New York City in October of 2001. 9/11 happened, obviously, in September, and it changed my entire plan. And so, what was going to be this, this you know, this bright-eyed, really like green you know, recent college graduate going to pursue his Broadway dream in New York became uh, a retail associate working in Columbus, Ohio, just trying to figure out what I was going to do, how I was going to connect to performing and really re-approaching when I was going to move to New York City because that was the goal. Mm -hmm. And I found drag in that process of of, uh, wanting to perform, wanting to be on stage. And the rest is kind of history. I, yeah. I stayed in Columbus. I continued to do drag. I continued to focus on my drag career, which pr- like really proved to be really, really fruitful. I was doing a lot of shit. I was working all the time, creating my own my own shows and creating this character of Nina West, who could be anything I wanted her to be at any given point. Right? She could have, um, she could do these fierce dance big like theatrical big dance productions, or she could be more like somber and silly at the same time, or. Yeah, you know, so I could I had complete control over storytelling, which I think was really appealing to me. Yeah, and then you know I auditioned for Drag Race, you know historically laughable nine times. I got on the ninth Work. time, and yeah, you know I mean like I didn't give up. That's and I persistence. Think that that's- Honey, I mean, and that's what you have to do. I've spoken to so so many girls that are like, "It's my seventh time, my eighth time, my sixth time." You know, it's like it's it's great. Well, you know, Drag Race is. From the time that I was first introduced to it in 2010, when it first came on, or 2009, to what it is today, it is so different, right? You know, like many girls, I think, maybe in those very early seasons, saw it as like, that's where you go, that's where it stops. Now I think everybody sees it as, oh my gosh, this is the way to open all these other doors. Yes. And the show has proven tremendously impactful on my own career. Um, You know, like who I was when we filmed four years ago to who I am now are vastly different thanks to the show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been, it has been, like literally it feels like we just, it feels like everyone just consumed it. It was three years ago that everyone saw it. And I'm wow. still feel like I'm still riding that wave, you know, yeah. like I still am, you know, benefiting from my time on the show and have learned so much about myself in the process. You know, I was in the it audience was, for your it, finale. Wasn't I? I was there. Yeah, I think you were. Yeah, I was there. I, were. I was very excited to meet you. <laughs> yeah, it was so nice. To, I was so excited <laughs> I was to meet very you too. To meet you. Yeah, that was, was the night you were crowned Miss Congeniality. Um, and, and now an, another dream of yours. I mean, I'm, I'm saying it's a dream of yours. I don't know if it's a dream of yours. Is it a dream of yours to play Edna Turdblad? Well, yeah, you know, I yeah, of course it is. Uh, there aren't a lot of making the jump from drag to theater is a lot more difficult than I think people actually think it 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 it, 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 it is. should be. You know what I mean? Because I think people see you, especially when you're on Drag Race, they see you as this kind of one idea or one yep. commodity or one type of performer. And so 
um, you have to like take risks and chances to prove to people that you're actually capable and like able of doing yes. other types of projects. Hello, so, I relate to you so very I mean, strongly. It's, it's the curse yeah. of reality TV. It is the curse yes. of reality TV. We were like, no, you're a reality TV star. And you're like, yeah, but that's just, that was just to open doors so that I can go do what I really love, which is theater. Yes. So yes. crazy. I mean, well, and that's the thing. You're like, you're like begging. It's like, you have this huge opportunity. I have all of these people, millions of people saw me do what I did on Drag Race. And then it's like, oh yeah, I really excelled at these acting challenges. I really excelled at these, like, like these writing and these creative challenges that forced us to put like our skills of like improv and again, acting to the test. So wouldn't it just make a logical sense that I could probably be really good at that? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, yeah. wouldn't it just be like a, that would, it's like, it, it just logically makes sense. And so as the kid who was dying to get an opportunity to get into a door on Broadway to have then Jerry Mitchell call me after I did Harvey Firestein as one of my two characters for snatch game. Yes. And I, and I woke up after that episode aired to Harvey had shared it. And then Jerry Mitchell had slid into my DMS on Instagram and said, Whoa, great job. And then months later, Jerry Mitchell calls me in July of 2019 and says, I had a dream. And I think that you need to be Edna. Everything's shifted. You know what I mean? So I was like, oh, God. like yeah. And so it became a dream because Edna was Edna is, I think one of the greatest. And some people will probably challenge me on this, but I think she's a really great role written for theater because it requires a lot of skill. You can't of just, you know what I mean? Like I'm not going out there and like, like putting, it's not a gimmick, right? I'm trying to be her mom. I've got to be Tracy's mom and that's got to be believable. And how is that believable? Uh, you know, I'm not, you know, and like when you see divine do it in a film, the original movie, you believe that that's Tracy's mom. And yeah. when Harvey did it in, in, in oh, 2002, broke my right, heart. you believe it's Tracy's mom, yeah. you know? And so, so beautiful. Yeah. And so it requires a different skill. And so I was really just wanting to allow that to, for me to tell the truth of it all and connect to that. And thankfully I've gotten that chance. I think. Camp is very hard because when in the a musical setting, because you also have to be real. You have to find like yeah. the earnestness behind the character in order for the camp to play. Otherwise it's just, just yeah. ridiculous and, and not yeah. funny. <laughs> so, it's, it's true. Yeah. It's, it's a hard true. role. It's a very hard role to play, to find that balance. Jack O'Brien, who's the director of the original Broadway director and Jerry Mitchell, like they, Jack is famously has said, you know, in all these iterations of Harrisburg, he said, uh, you're not funny. It is, you know, mm -hmm. like, remember the script is funny. The words that this character says are funny. You're not as the right. actor. Don't add any kind of, you don't need to add to it. Yeah. Just tell it truthfully. That's what's funny about it. Yeah. It's the truth of it all. And like, I had to hear that. Cause like, as a drag queen, I'm like, Oh, let me, you know, I add all these bells and whistles. And it's like, right. here's a beat and here's another beat. And let me get yep. really shaky and, you know, clown it up. And I had to take all that away and throw out all of the, 20 years of my drag career and be like, okay, what can I use from Nina West that, to apply to this chapter here? You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So that absolutely. was, that was the challenge. And I was like, yeah, oh, easier to remove <laughs> than it is to add. It's easier to take a uh, 110 and bring it down to a one Oh five. It's very difficult to get a 75 up to a hundred, man. It's very hard. It's true. So you're, you're exactly where you needed to be. So you just mentioned divine and I'm so excited for this because you get to play divine in the new weird Al Yankovic biopic. Is that what the, how, what is, what this what is, how is life? That's the craziest <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my whole life. 
Well, the weird <laughs> thing is, is like all the connection. Right, exactly. Did it come through? Bananas. Through Harvard, like, like it, hairspray? It, it, I don't know how it happened because I got a call from my agent that's, and I was, we were on, I was on tour with hairspray uh, for the first leg. So I, and I was in, uh, where was I? I think it was in Detroit. Uh, and so this was like in January of the beginning of this year. And I got a call. My agent's like, hey, we have this cold offer for you. We, they, people, they want you to come to Los Angeles for this top secret project. And they want you to be divine. And I was like, well, what's the project? They're like, we're getting more information. And so like a couple of days later, then they announced that Daniel Radcliffe was doing this. Uh, chills. Movie. I have I was, chills. I Look like, at my Harry like, Potter uh, tattoos uh, all over my arm. Right. I know. I know. It's bananas. <laughs> they announced that Daniel Radcliffe is playing Weird Al Yankovic. I was like, oh my gosh, what a fucking amazing project. That is so cool. I get a call the next day. It's like, my information says, you're never going to believe this. They want you to play divine in the Weird Al Yankovic movie. And I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, what is happening? <laughs> so I mean, I mean, I said, I said yes within like, I mean, the faster than you, I mean, I don't even know, faster than you. It was so fast. I said, yes. <laughs> and I, <laughs> you're like, you're, it's so I was, fast. I cannot even I came, come I up with I a said, joke said, or a one liner. Like, nothing. <laughs> it's just, was, it was like, fast. Okay. And, and, <laughs> and I was, uh, I just I showed up for on set. I left the show for a couple of days, and I went to go to Los Angeles and take part in this project. And it's a very small cameo, but it was an honor to be to be a part of it and asked to do it. And you know, I got to hang out with Daniel Radcliffe and Al Yankovic and 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 Evan Rachel Wood and um, a couple other people that have not been announced yet. So I'm really excited for everyone to hear who's actually in this film. And and it, the movie is going to be so on a whole nother level of ridiculous and wonderful and epicness. And, um, but like, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I'm playing divine. And yeah. I can't wait. It's What is the line? I mean, it's like the line is, it's just all crazy and it's all connected in a weird way, you know, like, yeah. It all comes from just who you are. And, and uh, I, I truly believe that, you know, as long as we give of ourselves in, in a generous way and we're always honoring like our craft and what we're able to give to the world, like we're going to be rewarded for it. Like, you know, and it's just like with you, you just, you, you give out positivity and it's coming right back to you. And another way you're giving of, of yourself in a, in a beautiful way is with your new children's book, the you kind of kind, the you kind yeah. of kind. It's, I yeah. mean, I, I'm so excited that you did this. Um, talk to me a little bit about the book, which which was blessed and recommended by country legend Dolly Parton, BTW, for everyone who's I mean, listening. I mean, what, again, again, it's just a, what is this life? Um, the book came about three years ago, actually, right after my time on Drag Race again. Um, I was asked to, I'd released this children's EP of music and, you know, it's just a, a passion project I really wanted to do. You know, you know me. I'm a gigantic Disney nerd. I love, yep. I love, I mean, we've talked about that before. You know, it's like, it's the thing that I really, it's one of those things I just love. Um, and I, I love the way I feel when I go into those parks and like have that experience. And I wanted to kind of give my own Nina West brand of that. And like with a children's EP and a book agent had listened to it and they said, you should really do this. You should release a kid's book. And I was like, I don't know. That's all seems really, really great, but I don't know if I'm the right vessel to tell these stories. And um, fast forward to now in the era that we are, and I know that you're, you're well aware of this too, we're just in this really weird political climate where yeah. uh, the conversation specifically also surrounding drag queen story times and drag queens with, you know, reading to children or being in the presence of children is a this really hot button issue. 
It's unbelievable. And, um, it's it's kind of crazy, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it's we've got a lot of work to do, and so yes. I, you couldn't have predicted that you know when I started writing this book and started working on this project three years ago that it would come out during this kind of time period right. where it feels really uh, vital and it feels really necessary in a very different way than I thought it would when I first started it, and yeah. so there's like there's this like there's this tremendous excitement. Um, there's also this like uh, heaviness knowing that this um, that this you know that this it's coming out in a really tough time. And yeah. so uh, I think that the book is so hopeful and hope filled. And you know, like yeah, like you said, like Dolly Parton, who has become a friend, has has been such a champion of this project and has talked about it in in such a way that when you think about kindness i automatically think of dolly parton i yeah. think of like the goodness that she creates in the world the, the acts of service that she gives to others who she is as a person the stories that she tells in her music and um to have that kind of be i think part of this project is really powerful too you know like dolly is someone who's notoriously apolitical right but she definitely puts her she throws her support behind things without really saying anything, you know, yeah. like we, we've known for decades that Dolly's been a queer advocate and a member, like I'm definitely a, 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 an ambassador and ally to our community by her acts, you know, yes. like she hasn't, you know, just how she behaves and how she, how she exists in the world. And, um, you know, and we saw that again with, you know, the pandemic and her throwing yep. financial support behind uh, developing a vaccine, which says yeah, namelessly at first, yeah. Amazing. It says she. It says she believes in science, yes. and it's like you know. And she's. I. I just to have this support. It tells me a lot. It's not about me, you know. Like right. it's awesome that I get to receive it, but it isn't about me. This is about her throwing her support behind this art form and the importance that our queer families are seen and heard and have space and have agency. That's yeah. what it's about, and I'm lucky that I get to receive those words. But it is really a. It's a much bigger thing. And it's a much bigger I'm, thing. Yeah, and I'm really honored to be uh, part of that. But it's also everything happens for a reason. I I I, f- I truly believe that. And I know three years ago you had no idea the book would come out during this political cl- climate, but I think it did because you're the perfect ambassador for this conversation because you're someone who leads with love. And like, I, I truly believe, and I'm, I feel like sometimes I'm naive in saying these things, but I think that the only way that we're going to convince the other side is by being like loving and kind and, and showing like we, this is, this is, we're not going to get dirty with you. We're not going to roll around and, you know, uh, stab you with jabs and like, say that you're like, you know, fucking crazy conservative pieces of like you got to say like listen like i understand i understand where you're coming from but let me explain it to you let me show you why like you know like there are ways that drag is actually beautiful for children and like it, it is a way that you can you know like in broaden a child's mind in a beautiful positive yeah. way and drag you're the perfect like this, person to do that drag is this wonderful tool for self-expression and what a better way to teach kids about how to be expressive than to use all of the crayons in their in their in their yeah. toolkit, all the box, you know. And like, kindness is one of those things where people might say, "Oh, you know," like where they'll say, "Oh, that's so weak. You're being kind." Right. I think it actually takes a lot more um, yep. fortitude and strength and and bravery to to uh, to sit there and be willing to listen to somebody else offer kindness in a gesture of providing conversation and community so that people feel seen and heard. I think that's much more difficult and more powerful. 
I than agree. it is to, to to haul off on somebody like you said and, and say your your arguments bullshit or where you like I'm that we're just we're anyone who's shouting the loudest in the ether still it doesn't mean anyone's hearing. So we have to learn how to talk to one another. You're right. I can't wait for them to just clip that one piece of me and say. <laughs> Uh, it's just the only thing that's going to say is Frankie Grande said all, all conservatives can go f- themselves. <laughs> well, <laughs> context is everything, can't wait. listeners. Context can't, is everything. Context is everything. <laughs> context is everything. Um, and uh, you're you're just such a such a such a delight, and I can't wait. I, I would love. A, I'm going to grab a copy of the book because I, I want to read it. Thank you. Myself. And, okay, I'll send you a copy. Yeah, yeah. Please sign it. Sign it. Sign it. Sign it for me, please. Um, and you are a wonderful person and wonderful um, ambassador for uh, this this time. Wonderful ambassador right. for this time. Um, so keep being you. Keep shedding your beautiful light on the entire world. And have fun on tour, you know? You. Have fun in Boston where you're uh, oh, cold and you pack the car. And also, for everyone listening, I saw Titanic twice. And <laughs> oh, I loved did. every moment of it and you must see Frankie in this show you've got to you've got to got to got to see Frankie in the show you are so brilliant and Uh you are so incredible and so much fun and I mean really I drove all night is so epic it is (laughs) so epic I just I just anyone listening to this do not miss your chance to see this show it is every bit of salve and joy that we need right now it is so great I love you. You're a good friend and a good you. person. Mwah. Thank you're, you so much for, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. You're amazing. I love you. I love you, Frankie. Well, that wraps our show. I'd like to thank my incredible guests, Betty Who, Stuart Milk, and Nina West, who each remind us through their art and their activism, the power of just being yourself. Okay, shine bright like a Frankie, y'all. And of course, thank you for spending time with us. Be sure to follow me on all the socials at Frankie J. Grande. And until next time, let's go change the world together. Okay? Bye.